we're going to be talking about the unity of love, how unity is so vital within a church and how it's based on love. But you can't just sort of have love and just, you know, create that on your own and just expect there to be unity. It really depends a lot on what God's speaking to your life and your heart and how the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. At, at the beginning of, of Romans, we, we learned that everyone needs salvation. And that salvation is not based on works. It's not based on what we do. It's based on one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care how good you, uh, how good you are, what great choices you make. If you, don't have, if you don't have Jesus as Lord of your life, then you don't have salvation. You don't have a Savior. Because we are separated from God because of our sin. And because of that separation, we... Um, uh, we can't get to heaven. And so, and of course, that's what hell is. It's just total separation from God. And so God, because of his love for us, sent his son Jesus to die, take away that sting of death and our sin. All we gotta do is believe in Jesus Christ, what he did for us, ask him to come into our life, be Lord of our life, and forgive us of our sins. Well, as we walk, as we walk as a new believer we can walk with freedom. And we're going to talk a little bit about this today. But we're going to walk in freedom in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Not in, in a, it's not a rigid rules and regulations. It's a relationship. Because the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was about rules and regulations. Yeah, you had the Ten Commandments, but you also had a, a whole bunch of other things that, that spelled out the law that God gave Moses. And so the, the, the nation of Israel had these rules and regulations. And then Jesus came, brought the new covenant, and said, you know what? It's about a relationship. Not that the rules, not that the rules like the Ten Commandments don't exist because they still do. But it's about a relationship, and the more that we can get into that relationship with Jesus, the more that we love him, then the more we're going to uh, obey those rules, such as the Ten Commandments. Um, and then as we walk into that freedom, we begin to feel a change in our life. We begin to be transformed. In, in Romans, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul talks a lot about mercy and, and the plan and, and how God sent his son and how we, you know, we're, uh, we're saved by faith, not by works. And it goes through a long, um, a long list of things that, we, uh, that we, need to, we need to know about our faith. And we need to be able to share with others. But in chapter 12, as we learned last week, he, he says, okay, we're going to stop right here. And we're going to take a look in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, you know, uh, th this past week uh, weekend, I was able to take um, one of our sons, uh, Logan, on a father-son uh, trip, and uh, we do that uh, with our kids one-on-one uh, -on -one before they enter into sixth grade, and just kind of talk about some things that they might be hearing at school. I'd rather them hear it from a parent, not from them. And so uh, Suzanne takes the girls; I take the guys. She only has to go twice; I have to go four times. But it's okay. We, we, I've knocked out two. And, um, but Logan and I got a chance to, uh, to get away and go camping and uh, do a little bit of rafting. I might tell you a little bit about that later. It's very interesting. And um, we'll all, we also got a chance to, um, to go see something that I didn't even know existed. 
and uh, it's called uh, uh, Fields of the Woods. And it's this place that has the largest display of the Ten Commandments in the world. And I was like, how come I've never heard of this place? This is, this is cool. It's just right inside North Carolina. And so that's where we were. We were in North Carolina area camping. And this lady told us about it. So we went over there uh, to, the, uh, to this awesome place. And you get there and you get out of your car and there's this massive mountain with uh, these white things on it. And it's like, wow, that's pretty, it's pretty high. It's pretty big. But it's, you can't really make out what is on there. Obviously, you know it's the Ten Commandments. We can't really see it. So what we did is we went to the other side of the parking lot, climbed up that mountain in those steps, and turned around and looked at the view of the display of the Ten Commandments. And it was amazing. And it truly has to be the largest display of the Ten Commandments in the world. It is huge. It's on this mountainside. No trees on this side. I don't know how they cut the grass on this, but they, but it, they do. And it is, it, it's all there. And, and, um, but we had to get to a place where we could see it for ourselves and be like, oh, now I see it. Paul is saying in chapter 12, look, in view of God's mercy, when you stand in your life, and you look back and you see how God has been merciful to you. Imagine, for those who've accepted Christ, for those who follow God, imagine if you didn't have that relationship in your life. I could tell you this right now. Based on how my biological father lived his life, I would have natural tendencies to live a life that is way contrary to what God has for me right now. I would not be standing on this stage, obviously. But I, I would have an awful life. And I would make life miserable for a lot of people. And I was driving here uh, this morning, and I just, I just wanted to say, God, I'm talking about your mercy. And I just want to say, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for not letting me fall into those, into those traps that, that my, my biological father could have, um, could have uh, just passed on down to me. And I pray, Father, that you help me to always be, uh, show thankfulness for your mercy. So sometimes we just need to, we need to get to a place in our life where we can look back and we can see how God has shown his mercy on our life. Yeah, you may be sitting here saying, well, Frank, I've, done, I've already done some things. Well, you're sitting here today, you're alive, you're well, and you can move on with your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, you can learn from those, but you can look at something in your life and say, thank God for your mercy. So in view of God's mercy, Paul says, we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so that right there, Paul says, that is our worship. That is our spiritual act of worship, to live our life holy and pleasing to God. It's not, it's not about what we do here on the stage. It's not about just us coming to church. Yeah, we worship corporately, but worship is what we do Monday through Saturday with our life and how we renew our mind and how we're not conformed to those patterns of this world, but we are slowly transformed into the likeness and the image of God through the Holy Spirit. 
and through the help of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, how, how, do we, how do we have that life, that living sacrifice? Well, one of the ways is that we have that living sacrifice of worship is that we, we serve. We serve others and we share with others. Uh, one of the things that we, uh, uh, many opportunities you're going to have here in the next couple of weeks is you're going to be able to find your spot. Find your spot to serve and find your spot to share your life with the small group. In, in, your, in your worship guide, you should have gotten uh, an, an, um, basically a layout of opportunities that you can serve and, um, and then a little bit of information about our small groups. In two weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity for you to actually put down and write down, hey, Frank, I'd like to try this, or uh, here's where I, when I can meet for small groups, or I'd like to, I'd like to uh, uh, meet with people who are kind of in my same season of life, or I don't really care, or I want to get in the small group that's kind of close proximity to me, or whatever. And so here in a couple of weeks, you're going to have that opportunity to serve and to share. Now, why is that important? If we are going to live a life of worship, now worship is that living sacrifice, then we need to have a way to express that. There's no better way to express that life of worship than by serving our community, by serving others. There's lots of opportunities that we have right here in our community and in our world. Next year, we're going back to Nicaragua, going to be planting a church. There's lots of things we do here. We, we uh, provided breakfast for our teachers uh, here at South Central last week. Uh, we, we do lots of things. And small groups, sharing your life with others, there's no better way uh, to have a living sacrifice than to say, hey, let me help you carry that load. Or, you know what, I can't carry this by myself, this emotional uh, stress or, or financial stress. Pray for me. Uh, you need brothers and sisters to come alongside you and walk with you through life. And so serving and sharing your life is a great way, and really, I think, the best way to express your life of worship. And so today, we're going to talk into a little bit more detail about how we are transformed. And today, we're going to talk specifically about how we're transformed into love, just like Christ loved. And so if you would, uh, in chapter 13 in Romans, we're going to start at verse uh, 8, and we're going to talk about, as I said earlier, the unity of love, the unity of love. Now, what we're talking about today is, is, a, is a direct outcome of a life of worship, a life of that living sacrifice. When we are transformed like Christ, this unity of love should be a, a direct outcome of that life of worship. And in and, uh, chapter 13, verse 8, it says, let no debt remain outside, uh, outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not cover it. Uh, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Now, let's stop there for a second. The law, you, you probably have recognized some of those things as ten, part of the Ten Commandments. You know, don't steal, don't murder, you know, don't covet, you know, don't lie against your neighbor, don't bear false witness. Those things, those are 
rules and regulations that God says, you shall not do this. Okay? Well, that was before Jesus came and before Jesus ascended into heaven and gave us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now lives in you who, if you have accepted Christ as Savior. And that Holy Spirit gives you the power to live a life to following those, those rules and regulations. So if we have love, rather than saying, okay, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't covet what my neighbor has. I, I can't covet. God says I can't do it. Well, one way you can look at it now is this. If we truly have the Holy Spirit inside of us and that transformation power, we're going to love our neighbor as our self. We're going to love our neighbor as ourself. We're going to treat them just as good, if not better, than we treat ourselves. And so because of that love, and I'm not talking about just your next-door neighbor. Our, our neighbor is anybody we come across, anybody we run across with. But we're going to love them just like we love ourselves. And because of that act of love, then we, in turn, treat them with respect. We don't covet the things they, they have. We're not jealous of the things they have. We don't talk about them. You know, we don't steal from them. We don't commit adultery. Why? Why do we not commit adultery? Because we don't want any, I don't want any man doing something like that with my wife, so I would not do anything with another man's wife. Why? Because I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And so that is just a direct outcome of the, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so the, the Old Testament, again, the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was about those rules and regulations. You must, you shall not, all this stuff. This is about relationships. It's kind of like, let me give you an example. My dad um, who is not my biological father. Um, he, he's my stepdad, but he's been my dad since I was about one or two, and uh, he's always been sort of known as my dad. I've always called him dad. I've only met my biological father uh, once in my life, and, but my dad is, he's, he's sort of funny. I love my dad. Uh, he's, a, he's a Tennessee boy, uh, country, as a day is long, and he's got like an eighth grade education, but he's still really intelligent, and uh, he is, uh, he, he's just a funny guy. Well, one of the things that, that my dad likes, he, he just likes uh, attention, and so he does things that kind of get uh, for people to draw attention to him. So whenever our kids were really, really small, we'd go over to their house, my dad would say, hey, son, come give me a hug. And our kids were a little bit, you know, shy, and, and they would... Uh, uh, they would not really run to him really quickly. And so he would say, nope, before you do anything, you got to come give me a hug. And you got to come give me a hug. And it almost turned out to be not a really good scene. You know, kids crying a little bit because they got to give, you know, my dad a hug. And, you know, he won't let him eat dinner till he gives him a hug and, and all this stuff. I'm like, really? You know, so he placed this uh, sort of demand on them. You got to do this. Well, I have, my wife and I have a, a, a daughter uh, we actually have two daughters, and our youngest daughter, Marion, uh, she still does not give me hugs. She doesn't give me hugs. I don't know why. She just doesn't. It's almost at a point where it's kind of a game. 
but she just doesn't really hug me. And I'm okay with that, I guess. But, but here's what I don't do. This is something that I learned from my dad. I don't force her. Now, I may come up from behind her and say, ah, I got your hug, and she'll squirm and move away and that kind of stuff. Like I said, it's kind of a game. But, but I don't say, Marion, before you can eat, you need to give me a hug. I mean, that would be kind of, that would be kind of rude. I mean, kind of cruel, right? Be, before, you can, before you can sit down to dinner, you must give your dad a hug. No, I don't want that kind of attention. I don't want Marion to show an act of love towards me that is forced. I want something that she wants to do. I don't want it to be demanded. I want it to be a desire of hers. One of these days, she'll start hugging me. It might be when she's 40 years old. I don't know. But one of these days, she'll get that. But she'll get the understanding that, you know what? My dad, my dad loves me. And he, he wants the best for me. And, and look what my mom and my dad have done for me. He'll hug, she'll hug mom. <laughs> but Marion, I, I don't force that because I want her to hug me on her own. I want it to be a desire. That's what God wants. Rather than saying, okay, you have to do these. You shall not, shall not, shall not. And let me tell you what, those commands are still there. I'm not, I'm not making light of those commands. But God is saying, look, I want you to desire to do those rather than be demanded to do those because you've got the Holy Spirit, which is God himself living inside you. And because those rules and regulations are written by God himself who lives inside you, you will want to, long to, have a desire to follow those. And so that's kind of the difference between old covenant and new covenants. Let me tell you, desire trumps demand any day. A desire trumps demand any day. It even works with sports. You got a team that desires to win, they're going to win. They're going to win more games than a coach is saying, okay, we demand to win and punishes them, punishes them for not winning a game. You're not going to win games like that. You got to get after the heart of the athlete and why they want to win. God got after your heart. In fact, God made a way to your heart that's through Jesus Christ. So, what is the reason why we love? And why should we have the desire to love others? Well, we're going to find out here in chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. It says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying, look, here's the reason why we need we need to have love and unity towards another because the day is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. 
The day is near. And even if Jesus Christ doesn't come for another 10, 12, 14, 20, 100 years, people die. And when people die, their opportunity to make a choice to follow Jesus is gone. It's gone. And so we need to show that unity of love because the day is coming. The night is about to be over. And the day is coming when, when people, will, their lives will be over and or Jesus will come back to receive us all, those who have called um, and, and call him Lord and Savior. And so um, as, we, as we look into this a little bit more, I've got, I've got a couple of examples. We, first of all, we need to make sure that we are awakened to this fact that there are people in this world that are dying and going to hell. Because we can get so focused in on the things that surround us, these things that Paul talked about. Look, don't be distracted by carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissensions, and jealousy. Don't, don't, be, don't be caught up in those things. And he's talking to Christians here. Don't be caught up in those things because there's a world that's watching. And there's a world, there's millions of people, if they died today, they would, they would meet their maker. Yes, because every knee will bow, but they would not enter heaven. They have separation from God. And so we've got to do everything we can to focus in on the main thing. You know, this week, you know, we, we've had the news of, of, of a lion in Africa that was killed. Let me tell you, that, that's awful. I mean, it's an awful story and of Cecil the lion, and you probably have, have, have read about that or seen stories about that. You know, but, but he, he, here's the deal. Sometimes we can get so caught up into something like that that we forget what's really most important. For example, I had friends that, uh, I've got a couple of friends in Texas, that they were, they were believers, and they were so distraught about this lion that died and was killed, and rightfully so, but I've never seen them post anything on Facebook about people who are dying and going to hell. It's almost like people are so caught up about a lion losing his life that people who are dying and going to hell. It's, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. And so if we could be, if we could be more passionate about people who are dying to go to hell and trying to reach them as we are with Cecil the lion, man, we could change the world. We turn the world upside down with Jesus Christ, with the message of the gospel. So Paul is saying, look, don't be distracted by those things because the time is short. Wake up. Wake up from your sleep. Wake up from your slumber because there's people in this world who are dying and going to hell. And so as we go into, um, as we go into chapter 14, 
we're, we're, we're going to talk a, a little bit of things about judging. So we're going to take it a little step further. Again, we're talking about unity in love. Chapter 14, I'm going to read several verses here. Uh, 1 through 13. It says this, Accept the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. You who are to judge someone else's servant, you are, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10. And then, who, uh, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, now here's a, here's a kicker of this whole section. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your minds not to put on a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. Now, what does all that mean? There's a lot of gray areas in the Christian life. There are. The Bible does not list every single thing. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit to speak to us and guide us. One area, now he's talking about eating meat and, and, and vegetables and those kinds of things. Let's just kind of bring it down to a different level that we can all relate to. Let's talk about, uh, say, the use of alcohol. Alcoholic beverages, okay? The Bible makes it very clear that it is not a rightful thing to get drunk, to get drunk on wine, to get drunk on alcohol, and obviously, we all know that. It, it just leads to things that um, can ruin your life and make things miserable for those around you. And so, so using this example of alcohol, since the Bible says we're not supposed to get drunk, the Bible also says it does not say you're never to drink alcohol. It doesn't say to totally abstain from alcohol. Except in one instance where I'm going to get to in just a moment. So that is a gray area. Well, should I, can I drink one can of beer? Well, you're probably not going to get drunk on one can of beer. I don't think. But, so, does that mean I can, I can, I can drink that? Well, according to God's word, yes. But if you drink a 12-pack, it's probably not a good thing. At one time, you're probably going to get drunk. And that is clearly laid out in the gospel. Not, not at this particular point, but in, in other places in God's word. And so it's kind of a gray area. 
for our family, we choose not to drink at all. There's no beers. There's, there's no wine, no liquor in our house. And so we choose not to do that, not because we, you know, we're good at two shoes or whatever. It's because those things lead to other things, right? And so we don't want our kids uh, exposed to some of that. And so we choose uh, not to have that in our house. And we choose not to even start going down that road because we know we've seen people's lives. And my biological father, who was an alcoholic most of his life, and his life has ended because of cancer, because of alcoholism, probably I would have those natural biological tendencies just like my biological father. And so I, I stay away from that. I've tasted it a couple of times. I can't stand it. It's awful. I got drunk one time when I was two years old. I broke into the refrigerator and opened it up. My parents are still asleep, and I, and I drank a half bottle of cooking sherry. Cooking sherry, I hear, tastes awful. I don't remember it, but all I know is I was drunk and I was puking and, 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 you know, and I was two years old. Now, I don't know if that's the reason why I can't stand alcohol. I'm not sure of that. But I do know this, that alcohol can lead to other things. Now, I'm not here saying you can't have a beer because the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It just says, don't get drunk. And so if you know someone who drinks a beer, you should not cast judgment. You should not cast judgment. I've been around, I've been around people in, uh, in certain circles where even them being believers, they'd, crack, they'd pop open a can of beer and they'd drink it and that's all they had, this, this one beer. And I did not say anything. I did not say, dude, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that in front of me. I'm a pastor, you know? You, you shouldn't be doing any of that. And that could lead to other things. I did not go there. Why? Because I love them. Because I love them. I'm not going to cast judgment on them. Now, if they are getting drunk as a skunk, then I'm going to, I'm going to uh, help them. I'm going to walk with them as best I can. When I was in college at LSU, I, I uh, joined a fraternity. And then this fraternity, as you know, a lot of fraternities, they, they have parties and they get drunk and, and everything. And one of the things that I did is I provided the alternative beverages. And so I would always provide the Cokes and that kind of stuff. But I would also go with them to the bars. I'd go to bars. I wouldn't drink. I'd go to bars. In college, and I wouldn't drink. You say, that's weird. <laughs> uh, it just happened, just what it is. But what's cool, what I learned about going to bars, being a designated driver for my friends, my brothers in my fraternity, is that you can get free Coke, free soft drinks the whole night. <laughs> so I sit at the bar, drink soft drinks, you know, and watch people getting drunk and laugh at them, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, I did not want my friends to get in a car and, and ruin their life or the life of someone else. Why? Because I loved those brothers. I loved them. Not all of them, most of them weren't believers. There were some that were and, and stuff. They had some issues with that. But, but I loved them. I showed them that. And because of that, because I loved them and, 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 and I didn't, I didn't uh, you know, totally judge them, 
I, I worked with them a little bit. I mean, I had guys come to me and say, man, my life's miserable. I said, well, you might want to check your drinking habits. You know? Yeah, I get drunk. And so I'd pray with them and that kind of stuff. But I showed that love to them. And in return, they respected me. Susanna and I were dating in, in, at college. And one night, they had a, we had a Halloween kind of uh, deal at the fraternity house. And so we had to go to these different rooms and kind of do these different things. And they had this one station where they had this, this black cloth. And uh, Susanna and I sat down in the chair. And what you had to do is you had to drink a, a, a shot of hard liquor, you and your date. So they'd set it over there. And so the, one person walks out of the room. We walk in and we sit down. And then I hear sort of people talking behind the screen. They said, hey, it's Bennett. It's Bennett. You know what they did? With shot glasses, they poured two shot glasses of Coca-Cola and they set it out for me. Why? Because they respected me. They loved me because of what I did for them, because my love for them. And so you're, people in church and you could, you could do all kinds of examples here, but one thing we gotta do, we cannot judge one another. Now, if you know of someone, especially a believer, who is, who is um, going off the edge, either in alcoholic beverages or drugs or sexual you know, fornication, if you have someone, you know someone, then you need to get some other help and some other friends and you need to pray for them, and you need to talk with them, and you need to confront them. You need to rescue them. Absolutely. That's not passing judgment. That's confronting them in a loving way. And so, not only are we not to judge, but let's finish out this, um, let's finish out this chapter, and then we're done. But we're also to do something else. Verse 14. I am convicted are convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you, you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he does, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. He is saying this, look, when, when you have these gray areas in your life, and there's a lot of them, and you are doing something like, say, for instance, drinking, it's best to just kind of do that in the privacy of your own home. Let's say, for instance, if I wanted to have a glass of wine. I don't drink, but let's just say if I did, 
And if I wanted to do that out in public, now that could cause, they would look at me and that could cause someone to stumble because they say, hey, I know he's a believer, he's a Christian, and he's sitting there drinking. Now if I wanted to have a glass of wine, I should do that within my own home. Why? Because I don't want to do anything that will make someone stumble. Same could be said for music. Music is another gray area in our, in our culture. Obviously, there are some music that is very uh, bad and, and it goes against God's word, but there's other music uh, that, is, that is edifying to the Lord, worship music, but there's a whole area right in the middle that's gray. And so what do, what do we do with that? First of all, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is telling us about that, what we can listen to. But if you've got a new believer in your car, then you might want to make sure that you're putting on the right kind of music. You don't want to do anything that will cause them to stumble. Now, obviously, if you're listening to trashy music and evil music, you shouldn't be listening to that at all anyway. But you get what I'm saying. We need to, we need to be careful. We need to love one another and walk in a way where we're not judging people and we're not causing people to stumble. That is unity. And be, if we truly live a life of worship, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to want to do those things in love. Love through unity. Don't judge and don't make people fall into sin. Now, as we close, there may be people here sitting here today who says, well, Frank, I, I've, I've been that person. I've been that person who, who, who I've caused people to just uh, run away from the church. Do you know that there's a lot of people who don't go to church because they can't stand how the church judges them? That's the number one thing people say about not going to church. Well, there's just a lot of people who just judge me. And I think some of that just kind of in their minds, what they might be thinking. But it, I, I do think it's true that there are a lot of believers who kind of look at people and say, hey, you should not be wearing that to church. Or, you know, you should not be, uh, you know, you're coming in really late. And, you know, you should not be talking like that or whatever. I had, a, had lunch with a friend of mine this week who's not a believer. And, and, but, but God has called me to build a relationship with guy, with this gentleman uh, who, who lives in this community. And we're sitting at lunch. He's throwing F-bombs all over the place, you know? You know, but, but, but I can overlook that, and I'm not going to judge him for that, because why? Christ doesn't live in, in him. He doesn't know. But I pray that he does know, and I pray that God gets a hold of his life. You might be someone sitting here today, well, Frank, I've been that person. I've been out of church and it's time for me to get right with God. And so we're not going to have a formal time of just having an invitation or anything. It's kind of a different message. But know this. If you are someone that you know you have caused someone to either stumble in their life, in their faith, by some of your actions, or you have uh, cast judgment on someone and just chased them away, then maybe you need to get right with God and just say, you know, God, I'm sorry for that. And maybe you need to go to that person and say, you know what? that I was out of line and I should not have done that. I should have not have passed judgment on you for that. Please pray for me. Or if you have someone sitting here today who says, you know, Frank, I've, I've, I've got this, this issue in, in my life where, where I feel like people are just casting judgment on me. And I've got this friend who, 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 do, who they do these things and it's causing me to stumble. Please pray for me. I will be out in the lobby and I wanna I want encourage you to, to find me and uh, tell, me, tell me your story, tell me the situation you're in, and let's pray together.